Anyone hate tests growing up? Anybody? Now, now see, I was kind of the backward, and I was kind of opposite. Like, I, I didn't like homework. I didn't do, do like doing things. I often didn't do things that I was supposed to do. And then um, I didn't study well, but then I'd come, it'd come test day, and I would shine, right? I mean, I would, I would get, you know, a really good grade on, on the test that was worth a lot. And, and so um, my friend Brad, my best friend in high school, he would, um, I'd go over lunch hour. If we had a test after lunch, I'd be like, hey, Brad, um, tell me what I knew, need to know about this test. And he would roll his eyes and be like, here we go. And so he would, like, spend the whole, you know, lunch break, you know, filling me in on what I need to know, going over his notes, and without fail, every time that happened, I got a better grade than Brad did on the test, right? But some of you guys, that's, that's, I know that's abnormal. I know that some of you guys hate tests. You hated tests growing up. That's just the way it is, right? And what was even worse for a lot of you is the true-false test. Anybody, anybody love true-false tests? Every, there's so many people that just totally overthink the true-false test, right? You don't just go with the answer that is right. You just go, well, but what if this, this, and this? Then it could be false. Or, you know, and, and, and you kind of overthink it instead of just going with your initial thought, and boom, you end up with a failing grade. This book of Galatians, this book of Galatians that we are starting a series on this morning, we're going to go all the way through the book of Galatians, is, is, is kind of that. It's a true or false test. And Paul comes out swinging. Paul comes out swinging and says, listen, listen, here is what is true and only this. Stop adding things to God's word. This morning, we're going to look at Galatians 1, verses 1 through 5. If you have a Bible this morning or an app on your phone, you can follow along on the screen. Um, Let me read it. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. So this morning we're diving into this book, this book of Galatians. And this book is a great one, and it's very apropos to what is, is going on today as, as our, in our culture, in our society. So here's what we all need to know about this letter. The way the early church functioned was that, when the, this would be the early church, the church when it was in its infancy, and a church leader would write a letter to a church, like here. Paul writes a letter to the church of Galatia. And the way that this functioned is that the letter would be shared with any number of churches. So the, the people from Galatia would read this letter, and then they would share it with the churches that were around them. 
There was no Bible yet. So the, the Bible is actually a bunch of letters and writings that the early church circulated, and then they all put it together some years after they were written. This was a divine process, one guided by the Holy Spirit. But that is how we have this book today. That's how we have the Bible. The book of Galatians was one such letter written by Paul who wrote either 13 or 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Paul wrote his letter to the church in Galatia with much passion and frustration, with heartbreak and with anger. The first verse is actually very telling of that, although you wouldn't guess it from just passively reading it the way that I did. Let me read verse 1 to you again, placing some emphasis on a couple things. Here we go. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. You hear it? Paul is angry and Paul is frustrated. Usually a letter such as this one starts off with a nice greeting. There's none of that here. Paul wants to get down to business. So let me give, quickly give you a background and an outline for the entire book of Galatians. And then we can look at the first five verses in chapter 1. So here's the background. The church started first. The church started with who? What, what group of people? Anybody? The Jewish people, correct? Right? That's how it started. Before Jesus, what the Jewish people believed, and which was true, what made you right with God, and what set you apart. What, what were those things? Circumcision was one of those. Dietary laws were one of those. Observing the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath was one of those. Then Jesus came. In Jesus, you have the gospel, which is translated to good news. And so after Jesus, he, that he, after he came, after he was here, after he died for our sins, after he rose again, he made a way for all of us, for all people, both Jew and non-Jew, that they could all have access to God and forgiveness and eternal life through a relationship with Him. So what Paul is laying out here is this, and we're going to talk about this all throughout the book of Galatians. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Another way to put it is a hymn that we sing, first penned by Martin Luther, in Christ alone. In Christ alone we are saved. 
Well, the gospel could not be contained, and before you knew it, the church had grown. In fact, at the time of the writing of Galatians, the number of non-Jewish Christians were the same as the number of Jewish Christians. Now, here's what Paul is frustrated and angry about. The church leaders, including even the apostle Peter, Peter the disciple, were teaching the early church that in order to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, that it wasn't Jesus plus nothing equals everything, but instead it was Jesus plus all the other Jewish laws and practices and customs equaled everything. So it was Jesus plus remembering the Sabbath, or Jesus plus not eating pork, or Jesus plus getting circumcised. Even if you're 50 years old, you had to get circumcised. That's not pleasant. This, of course, was the exact opposite of what Jesus had come to teach and to free people from. How many people did Jesus heal on the Sabbath? How many times had Jesus said to the teachers of the law, you have kept all the laws, you have kept all the rules, but you don't have a relationship with God? So this letter, this letter addresses all that, and this letter is a letter of rebuke and correction. This letter states that what we need to focus on is, that Jesus, is what Jesus instructed and what Jesus taught. And that everything else, everything else isn't necessary. So, if you want to outline for the entire book of Galatians, here it is. Chapters 1 and 2 is the true gospel. The true gospel creates a new multi-ethnic family, which he talks about in verses three, chapters 3 and 4 that is transformed by the Spirit, which he talks about in chapters 5 and 6. So this morning, for our scripture, for our text, Paul does two things in verses 1 through 5. Here they are. The first thing is that Paul establishes his authority. Paul establishes his authority. Paul, right there in the first sentence, calls himself an apostle. Again, in 1 Corinthians 15.10, but Whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. Yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. Anybody ever wonder what the word apostle means compared to the word disciple? I don't know if you've ever even thought about that before. We interchange them a lot, but but all... All Christians are disciples, but not all Christians are apostles. So here we go. The word apostle is the word apostolos in Greek, and it means an ambassador of the gospel, a commissioner of Christ with miraculous powers, one that is sent. So Paul states over and over again that not only is he a disciple, but he is an apostle. Every apostle is a disciple, yet every disciple is not an apostle. So the word disciple is this. Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So that is every person that claims to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian. 
All of us have been called to make disciples of Jesus. We're all supposed to be disciples, that is people who believe and follow Jesus, that make disciples, and that then in turn make disciples, and then in turn make disciples. So what is an apostle? Well, here are the exact qualifications for an apostle. One, they had to have been a witness of the resurrected Christ. Two, they had to have been explicitly chosen by the Holy Spirit. And three, they had to have the ability to perform signs and wonders. So the apostles were the twelve disciples and Paul. Paul was a witness to the resurrected Christ and chosen by the Holy Spirit on the Damascus Road. And, 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 and if you look at the book of Acts, you can see all the signs and wonders that Paul did. You know, Paul put a guy to sleep, a kid to sleep, while he was preaching. I've, I know what that feels like. Paul put a guy to sleep while he, while he was preaching, but the kid fell out of a window and died. And Paul's like, all right, check this out. Paul goes, and what happens? He raised him from the dead. Paul performed all these signs and miracles and wonders, and he was a true apostle. Paul is saying here, he's giving his credentials there in verse 1, he is stating that his his authority comes from, and that he is going to contradict the leaders in the church, and even, yes, the apostle, the disciple Peter, he contradicts him. If you look at Acts, you can read all about that encounter. Paul is saying that my authority does not come from any person, it does not come from any church board, it does not come from any church or group of church leaders. No, my authority comes from Jesus Christ himself when he struck me blind and gave me a mission and the father of him that sent me. This is where I'm getting my authority from. They are the ones that have called me and sent me out to be the ambassador to the church. Notice then what he says in verse 2. All the brothers and sisters join me in sending this letter. Paul says this because he wants the church in Galatia to know that his, he is not alone. That there are many people, there are many church leaders and many missionaries that are all in agreement with what Paul is saying. And that what this letter is going to write and what it is going to contain. That what this letter is about to teach, there are all these people, these church leaders and, and missionaries that agree with this teaching. So then Paul jumps right into the main point. He just doesn't mince any words, he just gets right to it. Which is what the second thing Paul does, is that he teaches the true gospel. Paul gives the entire gospel in one sentence. In the New Living Translation, that's 26 words. Here it is. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Now, just like my best friend in high school, Brad, you know, just like his greatest fears, There were people that were taking the gospel of of Jesus, the message of Jesus, and they were adding something which made the whole thing into nothing. 
Just like that true or false test where Brad knew the right answer, but then he would add a little bit, and then, oh, then he would get the wrong answer. It's exactly what is happening here. Paul, over and over again in his writings, pointed out exactly what the gospel was. He did it there in Galatians 1.4. Now listen, he does it again in 1 Corinthians 15.2-4. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. Just as the scriptures said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. And then again in Romans 6, 4-8, through 8, which I believe is what Steve read this morning. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in Christ, we will be also be raised to life as he was. We know that our sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. What Paul is specifically saying here in, in Corinthians and in Romans is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That is what is true. That's the true gospel. That's it. There's no partial answer. There's no more to add to it. The first answer is the correct one. Not Jesus plus circumcision, not Jesus plus hard works, not Jesus plus baptism. No, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I have a feeling some people in here have no idea what I'm talking about, and I have a feeling some people in here know exactly what I'm talking about. There are times in our lives where the only thing that has gotten us through something is Jesus. For me, it was rushing to Springfield. It was sitting in the NICU, watching my little boy fight for his life because he had perforated his bowel. And I knew that he was leaking septic fluid into his body. Nothing else got me through that. Nothing. But Jesus. Not my church attendance. Not how much I gave to, in the offering plate. Not my baptism. Not my communion taking or my communion meditation. Nothing got me through that time except for Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And I know that there are times there that some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you have experienced something similar. Augustine once said, Jesus Christ is not valued at all until he is valued above all. So how about you? How about a time when the only thing that got you through 
was Jesus and Jesus alone. Maybe the death of a loved one. Maybe your marriage being on the rocks or a divorce. Maybe a a devastating diagnosis like cancer. Maybe something else. How many of us have fallen into the trap of trying to live according to this equation, equation, Jesus plus something equals everything? There are so many people out there today, so many preachers preaching from the pulpits every Sunday, people preaching on TV every week about how if you would just gave more money, if you just gave more time, if you just could speak in tongues, if you could just say this magic prayer, everything would be better. You would be saved. You would really be following Jesus then. And if he were alive today, I am convinced that Paul would be spitting mad. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Christ alone saves you. Besides knowing Christ, intimately knowing Jesus, like we talked about last week, aside from that, nothing else matters. Nothing Finally, Paul encourages us to be apostles. Right. No one can be an apostle like Paul was, right? Or like one of the 12 disciples. We are not able to physically see the resurrected Messiah, but yet we are still able to be a delegate for Christ, an ambassador for him. 2 Corinthians 5.20-21. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. What the world needs now is the church, the true church, that will communicate the true gospel. There are wolves among the sheep everywhere. There are false teachers everywhere. There are sellers of a false gospel everywhere. And what the world needs, what culture needs, what our society needs is a remnant of God, a people of Jesus that will unabashedly and unselfishly communicate the true gospel. There will be a voice of reason. There will be a voice in the wilderness that will say, Jesus is enough. He is enough. Bring your hurts. Bring your pains. Bring your broken lives. You don't need to do anything else. Just give it to him. And he will in turn give you everything else. Are there things that Jesus has called us to do after that? Absolutely. Baptism, communion, giving, prayer, fellowship, those are all things that he wants us to do. However, none of those things save. None of those things have any value until Jesus is valued above all. Jesus is the one that saves. Jesus plus nothing gets us everything.